Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Good Friday afternoon and welcome. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. We tell you, as always, we begin things by letting you know the ceasefire text line is open. That number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the conversation... That is the uh, that's the best way to uh, do so, and we'd love to hear from you. Big thank you to the uh, the folks in um, in Hattiesburg yesterday uh, on the campus of Southern Miss to, uh, to Jack Duggan to uh, John Cox and others who were instrumental. Uh, I guess Athletics Director Jeremy McLean as well in uh, letting us set up right outside the Thad Cochran Center yesterday, where the new amphitheater is being built. Uh, it was a fun day for us leading up to the first college football game in the state of Mississippi. It was a little less fun for Southern Miss once the game actually began. We'll get into that coming up in uh, in just a minute. But guys, made it home. Everybody did from Hattiesburg safely late-ish last night. And uh, what's up? Yeah, that 8 o'clock kickoff is not real fun when you got a little one that wakes you up at 6 a.m. Mm. I made it the whole time, though. I was proud of myself. I felt... Uh, a couple of moments where I had to, you know, catch myself from falling asleep, and I made it through. Good for you! What a hero! Oh, you know, just among you commoners stands one brave individual. Yes, I had a four-hour drive home, and so I was not able to uh, soak it all in. But uh, was able to watch some of it along the way. Kind of pulled it up on the phone and. Had the uh, the video stream going, not for the whole time. That probably would not have been the safest way to uh, to travel home last night. But I watched some of it. Hey, Dad, um, I guess you were able to watch the very end when you got home. Yeah, because you know, I did the podcast uh, once I got back into Starkville. So, yeah, I caught most of the fourth quarter. Very um, surprising result. Yeah, Southern Miss was a two-touchdown favorite. I think it closed at 12, uh, so that line came down and came down and came down, which tells you some people were on South Alabama. Two-touchdown favorite, though, basically, and got popped pretty good last night by uh, by South Alabama. Um, final score in the ballgame actually maybe a little bit closer than what it felt like as the, uh, the game played out. 32-21, South Alabama gets an 11-point win. Jumped out of the gates with a 13-0 lead after the uh, the first quarter. Southern Miss able to tighten things up going into the locker room. It was 13-10 at the break. 
But then South Alabama got a touchdown and a field goal in the third. Ole Miss, or excuse me, Southern Miss was only able to manage a field goal in the third quarter and then was outscored by one in the fourth quarter, nine to eight. So a little funky in, in terms of the, uh, the scoring. Just to tell you what kind of a night it was, South Alabama, 73-yard touchdown pass just a minute and three seconds into the game. It was on a third down play, and it happened because of a missed tackle. And we talked yesterday about offenses being ahead of defenses, but the funky part is they then had a bad snap on the extra point, had a you know this holder try to roll out and throw it to somebody, and that didn't go well. So it was six to nothing, and that was like, okay, here we go. It's going to be one of those weird kind of games. Uh, the weirdness, though, to me, was Southern Miss's inability to run the football. They wanted to run the ball. They continued to try to run the ball, and they just weren't able to do so very successfully in the ball game. Southern Miss, uh, a net of 95 yards rushing on 37 rush attempts for an average of 2.6 yards per carry. Some of that, South Alabama's defensive line was pretty good. Southern Miss couldn't block them at all last night. Oh, no, and that was the key to the game. See, football is a very complex sport. It's really hard to understand, but I think at times it's really easy to diagnose, and you knew basically right away that South Alabama was better than Southern Miss last night on both lines of scrimmage, and that led to what the score doesn't indicate was a pretty comfortable win from them. There was a touchdown taken away from Southern Miss that should not have been, that maybe would have changed the complexion of the game, but by and large... South Alabama was better in the trenches. Southern Miss really, and Luke will probably tell us here coming up, really wanted to run the football for some reason. And I mean, Tim Jones, South Alabama cannot guard him. I mean, Southern Miss has an Arkansas transfer at tight end that I really liked that they didn't use enough, really wanted to run the football, but also they couldn't protect either. I and mean, just were not up to South Alabama's standard in the trenches, and that led to a loss. It's that simple. Hey, Dad, one of the kind of all-time maxims in football is if you run the ball and stop the run, you got a chance to uh, to be pretty successful most of the time. That is a maxim or a theory that is going to be severely put to the test in Starkville this year with Mike Leach calling plays. We understand that because there's not going to be a whole lot of run the ball. You do hope that you can stop the run. But if you're looking for the way the game was won or lost last night, run the ball, stop the run, South Alabama, 163 yard, uh, 163 yards rushing. They averaged almost four and a half yards per carry, had one touchdown on the ground. They did throw it for 363. And, you know, there were some good things there. Southern Miss forced a couple of turnovers, had a couple of first-half interceptions that uh, that stopped drives that, you know, could have been promising for South Alabama. They gave themselves some chances on defense, also had some pretty big miscues on defense, but offensively it was, it was a slog last night. Which, like you said, is surprising. You would have thought Southern would have been able to run the football in South Alabama pretty easily, and they just they couldn't do it. And and that that's where the you know you're right. That's where the game was lost. The game game, game football games nine times out of ten won and lost in the trenches. And South Alabama just came in and they they hit Southern in the mouth. And that is not a a prediction I would have been willing to make prior to the kickoff of that game. I thought USM would have the advantage there. Uh, they, but I mean, maybe I shouldn't be too surprised. Steve Campbell, an old offensive line coach, he coached a year at Mississippi State. Yeah. He's always known for having tough teams in the trenches, and then, then they showed out last night. Longtime head coach at uh, at Gulf Coast Community College. It was Gulf Coast where he was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Desmond Trotter, pretty good. 
throwing the football for South Alabama, 16 to 27, 299 yards. He had two touchdowns and was intercepted twice. One of those was a pressure throw. The other was he just got greedy and threw it deep into double coverage yeah. uh, early in the ballgame. You may remember this name from last year during our junior college segments throughout the course of the season, Chance Loverditch, uh, who played junior college football in Mississippi, came into the game. He was 2 of 3 for 64 yards and a touchdown, including a 52-yard strike. Uh, Jack Abraham went the distance last night at quarterback for uh, Southern Miss, 22 of 32, 314 yards, uh, made some big throws, made some some good throws. One uh, that set up, I guess, Southern Miss's first touchdown, uh, really good throw, great adjustment in the air by the receiver, broke a tackle, able to scoot down to the one-yard line, and then uh, ultimately uh, you had Ragsdale able to uh, to stick it in for the touchdown. couple of touchdowns on the ground, but again, you look at the rushing yards, uh, Frank Gore Jr. goes for 32 yards on 12 carries. Kevin Perkins, 8 carries, 30 yards. Jack Abraham had uh, 45 yards rushing, a net of 28 when you factor in sack yardage. And uh, Ragsdale, uh, Don Ragsdale, who had a really good fall camp leading in, 7 carries for 7 yards. Uh, was never able to find any space in the ballgame. There just wasn't much there. Uh, it just physically beat up up front. And uh, that stat line for Abraham is a little deceiving as well. It, I felt, especially early in the second half, when they were down a, a couple of scores that uh, probably should have just unleashed the quarterback, but they shortened the game a little bit. Uh, still insisted on running the football. and uh, I mean, Abraham's going to be the best quarterback on the field most nights, and I think last night was no exception, and um, kind of limited their possessions in the second half by not letting him cook. And by the time they did, it was too late. Yeah. Uh, Jeff on the C Spire text line says, fire hop. <laughs> in the, going into the season where we said wins and losses don't matter, we've just got to play the games, it took a grand total of a quarter for Southern Miss fans to really be frustrated with the way the game was unfolding. Uh, Grady sends us a message. He says, my son's first game last night from Pedal made several tackles, stripped the ball, ran back a touchdown. He's number 44. His name is Kyle. I am a proud dad. That is from Grady on the Ceasefire text Look line. Look at that Hammy. uniform matchup. Do you see that? Yeah, it's real good. Red on red. Oh, it is, isn't it? It is. What? And is there a Southern Cal look? One guy had one. Some guys are on yellow pants, and one guy has on red pants, but the same jersey. Yeah. Uh, guess what, guys? That's a what? junior high game. But still, okay. they did red on red. Yeah, it happens sometimes. Th- things things go a little bit different in the junior high games than they do in the high school games. I guess you're right. Un- uniforms don't always. Yeah, they're not always. When I was uh, a freshman on JV, uh, the varsity used to get so mad. But if we had to do something like this, we would wear the the jerseys that varsity wasn't wearing. You know, if they were mm-hmm. at home, we'd wear the red ones or whatever. And they it used to bother them so bad. But that's how they would have to do it with us sometimes. But at the end of the day, kid got a touchdown. So yes, he did. He did. Who cares what he was wearing? Great debut. Good for you for being a proud dad, Grady. Uh, Hammy, who normally is in Hattiesburg, says, fellas, I'm on the East Coast for a bit. Watching that game last night had me burning the midnight oil. Tim and Enterprise says, I was surprised with the size difference in the two teams. South Alabama, much bigger athletes than what uh, Southern Miss had on the field. That uh, is from Tim. Also, a message says, folks need to look at this season as a practice season, especially since everyone gets another year of eligibility. It's easy to say that. It is hard to really believe that when you're going through games. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. 
Spark text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a C Spire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how C Spire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. Saw this in an email earlier today. I don't know if you guys have heard about this or seen it, but uh, the University of Mississippi, more affectionately known as Ole Miss, is offering an opportunity for fans, in some cases fans who can't actually be at games, to have their uh, name, image, and likeness in the stands at the ball games via cardboard cutout. That has become commonplace. You've seen it all over Major League Baseball. You have seen it in, uh, I don't know, Korean baseball and I don't know what the NFL is going to do, if that's going to be part of the uh, the setup in the NFL. $55 for a cardboard cutout. There is a caveat that your cardboard cutout could be moved from its location in the event that stadium capacity uh, gets larger, larger as the season goes along. Borky, are we Can't putting a picture of Haydad in the stadium? So he did this to himself. He sent me a picture. I'm standing right here. Uh, you know, you know, hey, he don't. sent me a picture of him wearing an Ole Miss hat, an Ole Miss shirt, holding what looks like uh, a ticket book with Eli Manning on it, and got uh, a real book written by one of the Mannings in the other hand. Yeah, Lost a bet. I've got this Ooh. photograph, and I think you have $55. I probably don't, but I think you do. And... I think this should go in the stadium. For $55, fans can purchase a cutout to be placed inside the stadium, the Gillum Athletic Center, the Ole Miss Soccer Stadium. All proceeds will benefit the Ole Miss Athletic Scholarship Fund to help athletes compete and succeed. The release says to be part of history and secure one of these limited edition cutouts, fans can purchase the cutouts at cutouts.olemissgameday.com. Then you upload a high-resolution photo of yourself, a spouse, a child, and or a pet. Photos of fans will be required to feature Ole Miss attire, and creativity is highly encouraged. How creative will fans be is the question. I just wonder if the athletic department will let somebody slip by a photo of Hugh Freeze in the hospital bed. You got The thing I, 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 from what I can tell, that these things are sort of contracted out to third parties, so... There could be some uh, some interesting faces to be seen. Yeah, but so surely it's going to be somebody from Ole Miss that does a uh, walkthrough to make sure everything is acceptable. It says oh, commercial we're gonna, advertising, we're political we're logos or statements, offensive or negative comments on photos will not be approved. Ole Miss Athletics reserves the right to reject any inappropriate or non-compliant photo. Or somebody could do the hostage video, the still shot of Vitter Bjork and oh, Freeze yeah, right Vitter, next to Bjork each other. Bjork and Freeze all sitting next to each other, sweating. First 500 yes. orders will be placed in high visible locations behind the field goal post at the vault. The remaining inventory will be placed throughout the lower bowl. Select cutouts will be visible on television broadcasts this season. Your deadline to submit for football is September 18th. For soccer, it is September 14th. For volleyball, October 9th. All submissions after the above deadlines will be in the stands for the next home game. And uh, how about this? Select fans who purchase cutouts will also have the chance to have their cutout 
signed by Lane Kiffin, Matt Mott, and uh, Kaylin, uh, Kayla Banworth at the uh, conclusion of the sports home regular season. we got to get Haydad's picture autographed by Lane Kiffin. Heck yeah. Hang it up in the studio. <laughs> oh, I'd, have it right, I'd have it right behind me up here, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, you know one of those is going to get suplexed or punched through after they lose a difficult game this season. Yeah. It's possible. Yes. So you could go Hugh Freeze hospital bed. Mm. Um, I want Bjork in the bike helmet where he's riding the tricycle. Ah! <laughs> can, we get, can we get that one? That might be a good one. What about drunk Eli? Uh, Oh my gosh, yeah, just any Manning face at all. <laughs> mm. This will go over well, though, won't it? Can, oh, we, yeah, get, it can we somehow get Richard's red shoes in the air? <laughs> I don't know if we can make that happen or not. It's not his face. It's his I'm not sure if that's available in high resolution or not. I don't know. We'll figure that out. Somebody at ESPN's got that film. Have to, have to do a screen cap from the, uh, the, the, the GIF I sent you. GIF, yeah. GIF, whichever it is. Whatever it is. Um, yeah, you, you want to be part of the show, we would love to uh, hear from you. I've got a buddy that sent me a message that says that the Griswold family is going in his seats. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, Russ. <laughs> Great. <sighs> Fun times. Fun times. Did you guys see this story? Two pilots... On two different flights, reported seeing a man in a jetpack yeah. thousands of feet in the air above Los Angeles on Sunday. An American Airlines pilot was approaching LAX at around 6.30 when he called in the sighting to air traffic control. The unidentified flying person was at the plane's altitude 3,000 feet in the air. From the, pal- uh, from the pilot tower, American 1977, we just passed a guy in a jetpack. Only in L.A., said an unidentified person in the audio log. Another pilot on a Southwest flight, according to NBC Los Angeles, also reported seeing the individual in a jetpack, and the air traffic controllers radioed to another airline crew to warn them. The FAA confirmed the sighting to NBC News. FAA said two airline flight crews reported seeing what appeared to be someone in a jetpack as they were on their final approaches to LAX on Sunday. The FAA alerted local law enforcement to the reports and is looking into these reports. The FBI in the Los Angeles field office also confirmed it was aware of the sighting. They were trying to determine what happened. I have so many questions. Um, the idea of a jetpack is really cool, first of all, right? Strapping something onto your back and launching yourself into orbit, or at least into flight, that's kind of cool. When you talk about futuristic stuff, that's like high on my list of things that I thought we would have by the year 2020 when I was a younger man. Which apparently we do. Uh, I mean, what? Hoverboard, jetpack, what else? Flying cars. Flying cars. We'd all be living like the Jetsons. Yeah, I I thought there would be a little more Jetsons. What year is the the Jetsons set in, like, it's it's already come and gone, right? Like, 
1985 or something. You can look that up. Me. You can dig into that rabbit hole. Away from Earth. Do I get a parachute? Um, like if the jetpack... How does that see, work? It feels it, like it'd be very bulky. This guy's 3,000 feet in the air. What happens if the jetpack stops working? He dies. He dies. It's that really that simple? Well, I mean, you had David Blaine go up with the balloons the other day, and he got to like 25,000 Well, feet. he had a parachute on, though, didn't he? That's, that's one, but yeah, I'm trying to get... like I don't know how you could work a, a jetpack and a... Uh, yeah, parachute. You know, it's, I, I learned recently about helicopters. I had no idea. I've never been in a helicopter before, and I've always had kind of a fear of it. I don't know particularly like flying. No, if the engine fails, you oh. don't just fall to the ground like a rock. They like disengage the rotor and like tilt the the propellers, and as it's falling, it starts spinning and it lowers you to the ground, like just using. Science and physics, physics and whatnot. So if your engine fails in a helicopter, it doesn't just fall. It will flutter to the ground gracefully. There's your fact of the day for you. Had no idea. Uh, so would you? Hey, Dad, would you lift yourself into the air with a jetpack? I don't. I don't. I got, I got a thing against heights, so no, I'm going to go no on this. Okay. I don't mind flying in a plane when it's all contained, but just being out in the open like that, I don't think I would want to do that. Even if you are willing to be jetpack guy, do you think the approach lane to LAX is the best place to be flying around in your jetpack? <laughs> no. You know, because from ground level, airplanes look like they're moving really slowly. But there's a reason that we fly on airplanes. It's because they get us from point A to point B a whole lot faster than we can in a car. They're moving a lot faster than you realize. So if you have a jetpack and you see a plane approaching, do you think you have more time than you actually have to get out of the way? Hmm. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. So many questions. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We're hoping, we were hoping to uh, have a uh, little happier topic of conversation with Luke Johnson to wrap up game number one for Southern Mississippi. Instead... Disappointing loss in the opener, and Luke, first of all, man, it was great to see you yesterday. Really enjoyed hanging out, and uh, glad that you were able to kind of hang with us for uh, for most of the show, and then after that, it didn't go so well. Yeah, it was great to be with you guys yesterday and hang out, and glad to see you in Hattiesburg. Eagles do uh, two things well. They soar really high, or uh, they lay eggs, and uh, we got the latter yesterday. That was a really, 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 really big egg that was laid unfortunate it was on a national um you know scene uh unfortunate that it was in a lot of ways the only show in town and uh unfortunate that it happens uh, to a team that you know you're a two-point or two-touchdown favorite over and unfortunate it happens uh, to somebody that 
has really moved in in the Gulf Coast and started uh, recruiting. And so uh, it was a win on all sides last night for South Alabama. I thought um, they were especially impressive on the offensive line. We were talking earlier, and I, I said, you know, to Haydad, one of the one of those like long time adages in football: you run the ball and you stop the run, and you got a chance to be pretty successful. And South Alabama rushed for what four and a half, almost five yards per carry. Southern Miss was about two and a half yards per carry. Just didn't get it done on the ground and couldn't stop it either. And I mean, there was a whole lot more to the game than that. But at the most basic level, the line of scrimmage on both sides really was dominated by South Alabama. It's, it's even, if you look into some of the rushing stats, it's even a little worse than that. You, you throw out the 2.6, which was 37 rushes for 95 yards. Frank Boyd Jr. had a long rush of 11. Perkins had a long rush of 15. And then Jack Abraham had that long run of 35. If you take those three rushes out, Southern Miss rushed 34 times for 34 yards last night. Hmm. Which is uh, which is not good. And hey, we got a question a little while ago, and I'll let you address this. Somebody asked about the lateral and then the touchdown on the next play. So, what was going on there? See, yeah, I was uh, third quarter, um, I believe, and what had what had gone on was Southern Miss had had stopped uh, had stopped. South Alabama, they they would have been it would have been in field goal range, but it was really the only time that night they, they got a rush. I mean, they had like one official quarterback hurry. This would I, I, it may have been this one or the other one, but so Trotter throws the ball left, and and he he literally threw the ball. It was a yard or two yards behind, and they and the ball bounces ten or fifteen yards in the backfield. Avery Havas covers it. Southern Miss is going to have the ball. Uh, in between the 45 and the 50 going the other way. And at this point, it's 20 to 13. So it's a, yeah. a one-possession game. Well, they come in and they, and they call it incomplete. And they go back and review it. And so, I mean, we were, you know, up those of us in the box, even South Alabama people, we were kind of talking back and forth. And we're like, well, if they're going to call it incomplete, it's got to be grounded. You know, it, it, it can't be. There's nobody out there. So you either got to call it grounding or it, it's an obvious lateral. And they reviewed it. And it was an incomplete pass. And there was, it was obviously, they said it wasn't a lateral, no grounding call. And South Alabama scores a touchdown, um, the very next play. And, uh, you know, just, it, it was a, it was a big swing there. So how do you miss that? I mean, did they not have a good angle on the replay or, I mean, I mean, the, the rules on that are pretty clear. I mean, you, you, you take the spot on the field where the ball is released or, yeah, where the ball is released. And then you look at the point at which the ball is, touched and if any part of the ball is touching the line of the line on which it was originally released then it's a forward pass but anything in the other direction behind that it's it's clear so so what happened on the replay i mean it was the quarterback was turning left and so he was throwing to his left and when he released the ball the ball was it, i mean the way it looked like it looked like he was throwing a swing pass left the ball went five to seven yards out towards the left hash, and it was obviously a, a yard or two yards behind where it, it left his hand, and then it just shot straight back. And I, I got it even wrong, Richard. I went back and looked at the drive chart. It was 13 to 10 at that point. That, okay. that, it, was the, it was the first offensive possession in the third quarter for okay. South Alabama. It was 13 to 10. So 
Yeah, that was that was huge, and you won't hear me talking about the rest today uh, because they're you know they missed that one, and the Gore touchdown pitch to Abraham is, is another one you know somebody can talk about for another day. But the rest didn't cost Southern Miss this game. So sixteen days now to get ready for Louisiana Tech. Where uh, where does Southern Miss go from here? I mean, you're not looking to go to the top. You're looking to get off the bottom. I mean, what the only bright spots last night, Tim Jones was extraordinary. They couldn't do anything for him. And I heard your first segment today. I think Borky pointed out, they, you know, just kind of looking like, where is Tim Jones? Like, he got 10 targets, I think, last night. But, but why didn't he have 15 targets? Because he's, you know, he, they couldn't control, they couldn't handle him. Um, Brownlee dropped the ball, and, and they never went really back to him much. Uh, should have used, utilized the tight end more. Um, they had zero interior game. So guard, center guard. There was nothing going on on the inside. And then uh, South Alabama's, you know, defensive or offensive strategy was just throw it up and high point the ball. And so uh, the defensive secondary, as bad as it was last year, as much as they struggled, you felt like this game they even struggled more. And the, the two areas for improvement that, that you know, everyone was thinking was going to be O-line and DB. It, it, it was sloppy on the tackles. The first touchdown, the 73-yard touchdown, was two or three missed tackles. Um, they were out of place. And, and even, in, I mean, in, in the press or after, guys, um, Jay Hobson uh, said specifically that he was worried uh, about a week ago. He had a kind of a fear that they weren't cleaned up as much in tackling and execution and assignments. And he, he didn't blame Toger for that, but, but he, he did say that, and he was honest about that. So, I mean, it, it's basic football now. I, I think the underlying problem, of uh, talking to some former teammates today and some guys on social media and stuff, I think the, the biggest concern for Southern Miss fans that they saw last night is that the, the difference of energy and motivation and inspiration between the two sidelines was crazy apparent. And it didn't seem like there was any urgency. It didn't seem like there was any fire or energy in the black and gold last night. I think that was probably the most concerning. Luke, we knew this was going to be a, a weird year in terms of fans and attendance. The the late start didn't help last night. I, I, whatever. I mean, the attendance is, is whatever it is. But what did it feel like in the stadium early, like leading up to kickoff? Was there legitimate excitement? Was there buzz? Did it just feel like a scrimmage with nobody there? What, what, what was the feeling? Uh, from what I got, and again, I, uh, this was a joke today. I was like, "They're going, you know, they want me to talk about the Southern Miss game today." I feel like I should get fired as an analyst because I had everything wrong yesterday, you know. But anyway, my my personal opinion, uh, I felt like Southern Miss fans wanted to be there, and I felt like it, there was more people. Uh, it felt like more people were there than what it was. They didn't give an official number, uh, probably in the six thousand range. But you felt like they wanted to be there, and you could you could hear them. I was in the press box most of the game, but and you could hear them on you know uh, through the glass. And I felt like there was excitement. I felt like people wanted just didn't want to be there. They they really felt you know wholeheartedly disappointed because of how their team did not show up to play last night. So. I felt like the fan base was there last night, and and they were they were, you know, ready for the top to be blown off. And and you know, we were talking a second ago about the fact that off season conversation is yeah, you know, whatever the results are this year, they really don't matter. Right up until the point 
where a game begins and there is a score on the scoreboard, and then all of a sudden to fans, it matters a lot. I don't think it ever never mattered with Southern Miss fans. And I think a lot of people said, you know, here's the thing. South Alabama, they've invested in facilities, brand new stadium, Steve Campbell's third year. You can't take this team for granted because they're 90 miles away. Guys, there were 24 Mississippi uh, players on that roster last night. And that's not counting kids that from out of state that played JUCO in Mississippi. 24 yeah. kids from Mississippi. That number will only increase because of this game going forward. That's um, that's a little sobering, but I mean we we have and, and we're almost out of time, Luke. But we've talked about this that South Alabama in Mobile, that part of the state of Alabama, was a potential threat to programs like Southern Miss and Tulane and maybe even Troy. Yeah, obviously not a threat anymore. I mean, they're more than a threat, and mm. so. You know, you've got to go back to the drawing board. Um, you've got to, uh, I would say, as a former player, you just have to decide whether you want to play. I mean, the season may not matter in your eligibility, but the season matters everywhere else. And, uh, yeah. you know, you're at a crossroads. Talked to Reggie Collier today on the on the Eagle Hour, and he just his message was, I would tell him to go to the mirror and look, and if you want to be here, get it right, forget it, move on. Luke, thanks for your uh, candid insight on this Friday afternoon. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Hi, guys. Have a great Labor Day. That is Luke Johnson. He is co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. We'll be back after a quick timeout. Don't get a fine. Don't play net. Don't get any fines in the air. Let the band play net! Hmm. They weren't afraid to play that national championship game, by the way. Uh, I mean, they were handing out money to the players. I'm sure the band got a taste, too. Oh, don't yeah. worry. It was fake money the multi-million dollar, multi-millionaire professional athlete was carrying around. It wasn't real money. It was fake. Well, I mean, they, they got hit with a third, a level three NCAA violation for that. So, you know, obviously it was real. Level three. Right. Anybody else just hands cash to players? That's pretty serious. In the open, on ca- in camera, pretty pretty serious. Uh, a little less serious in uh, in this scenario. Old Miss and Mississippi State should have athletic directors that marry into the NCAA. It'll solve all their problems. Mm. I don't. I don't know. So what happened Carter's in Baton Rouge, man? But I think John's pretty happily married. Oh, I'm just saying. You know, maybe when you're hiring the next guy, look at who they married and who their dad is. You know. Yeah. Can avoid penalties um, that way. Greg and Nettleton says that's just a sad deal all around for Southern Miss football as we know it. I'm glad I'm not them right now. I mean, it's a, it, it, the thing is, it's just in a season where you worked so hard to get to the starting line and you finally get there. And as Luke pointed out a second ago, you've got the national television audience. There are people that are engaged because it's the first FBS FBS game. And people are just genuinely excited to have football. And you go out and you just don't play well. It's um, that's a tough pill to swallow. And and look, it's not like didn't play well against Auburn or didn't play well against Nebraska. It's and this is no disrespect intended because I think Steve Campbell's doing a good job there. 
as we talked about, uh, that from a recruiting standpoint, they've got a really nice recruiting base. And South Alabama is an incredibly viable option for a lot of players that maybe would like to play in the SEC, but for one reason or another just can't quite get it to that level. So, I mean, not not denigrating South Alabama when I say this, but Southern Miss was they were punching in their own weight class, or they were supposed to be last night. And it, frankly, for a lot of the game, looked like they were playing somebody outside their weight class. And and to me, that's probably the biggest disappointment, if you're a Southern Miss fan. When you look at, I mean, you talk about recruiting, right? Look at the state of Mississippi. Two of the top, what, ten players in the state are right there in the Pine Belt. you got uh, Tykes over at uh, at Taylorsville, and you've got uh, Canarius Johnson at Laurel. They're both committed to Tulane. These are kids that are stone's throw, basically, from the yeah. USM campus. How are you not getting those kids? That, well, and to and me, and that's the you... tough part to swallow. If if you have yeah. hate Ed, a kid like that that goes to Mississippi State or goes to Ole Miss or goes to LSU or Auburn or wherever, that's one. You thing. go, okay, that's one thing, right? But losing. A player like that to Tulane, although it's, I mean, Tulane is in the American Conference. They've got a nice new stadium. They've got a good coaching staff and some momentum. But that's yeah, but a player that traditionally Southern Miss has been able to get. And, you know, they used to supplement that, like you said, with kids from Alabama and Louisiana that Auburn, Alabama, and LSU would pass on. And that's right. how they, they, they built all their success. And now, not only is there South Alabama, there's Troy. There's ULL, there's ULM, La Tech is more of a player now. La Tech a few years ago signed a ton of kids from Mississippi and they turned it into some success. So yeah. Yeah. I mean it, it, it's it's tough for USM to, to when they, their recruiting base has been eroded and then they're not getting the guys at home that they should be getting. That that's a tough pill to swallow. Kyle says could this be a sign of preseason training? I mean I suppose the answer is yes, but or, or or maybe it's yes, comma, but everybody was dealing with the same thing in preseason training, and South Alabama looked ready to go, and they played mostly clean. I mean, they had a couple of interceptions in the game, a couple of bad throws, but their quarterback also made some uh, uh, some some good plays. Yeah, they. Yeah, I mean, you, you look across the way, UAB, they put 45 on the board last night. And they gave up 35 to a Central Arkansas team that I saw somebody yesterday say, going out on a limb, Central Arkansas, probably the best one and one team in America. <laughs> yeah, you always make the biggest jump from week one to week two. Central Arkansas proved that. I think my theory is going to hold true, though. The thing I presented to you last week about week one underdogs that because of all the stuff that's happened, it could possibly level the playing field. And last night, you had one big dog not only cover, but win, and then Central Arkansas covered last night. So maybe there's something to that, that the playing field is being leveled. I'm going to keep a close eye on that this weekend and next weekend to see if that is uh, an accurate theory. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books with you on this Friday. We'll take a quick timeout for coming up. 
Ceasefire text line open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395 at Ceasefire. They're always asking the big questions like, why wait for the next device to get the device you want? Right now, you can get any iPhone $100 off at your local Ceasefire store and online at cspire.com. So some savings on the iPhone if uh, you want to uh, get that. You can do that just about any time. 601-879-4395 if you would like to be a part of the conversation this afternoon. Thanks for being with us, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. We mentioned and talked ad nauseum about Southern Miss and South Alabama. There was another game that happened last night. UCA, University of Central Arkansas, at UAB, and UAB was a big favorite in that game. What, where did the line finish? Was it three touchdowns? It was 21 was it and a half when we did the show yesterday. So 21 and a half. By the way, hey, Dad, we picked two unders yesterday. Mm-hmm. Under in um, in the UAB-UCF game uh, was, yeah. was off by 30. Yeah, we were, we were not on that one. Total, total on that one was 50. And they scored a combined 80, 45-35, the uh, the final in that game last night. So, what'd you think? Borky, were you able to watch any of that one? I put it on just to put it on, but I I was mostly focused on uh, the Southern Miss game. Yeah. Bill Clark is now 19-0 at Legion Field as the head coach of UAB. They have not lost a home game under Bill Clark. Just an odd score, though. Would not have expected that in that game. Bill Clark, you know, good defensive coach. That's why we took the under. I mean, you know, and South Central Arkansas didn't show a whole lot against a, a FCS defense the week before. Wouldn't have had them scoring 35, let alone UAB getting 45. And, and look, it's not like when you look at UCA's offensive numbers, you go, wow, man, they rolled up 600 yards of offense. They had 193 yards passing and 100 yards rushing. But still managed to score 35 in the game. Tyler Johnson the third was the uh, I guess the starter for UAB. He threw for 143 yards, couple of touchdowns. Bryson Lucero had a touchdown pass. Big night on the uh, on the ground for Spencer Brown and UAB last night. 127 yards on 24 carries. He had a touchdown. So did Jermaine Brown. So did Lucius Stanley. So three rushing touchdowns, three through the air as well, and then one field goal. Uh, mixed in for UAB, who starts the season 1-0. and oh. And when you look at what is coming up for UAB, well, they're back at it next Thursday night. On the road against Miami. Is this lookout hurricanes? Telling you, man, early underdogs. I, I'm on this. I, and, like, Arkansas State at Memphis tomorrow night, they're a two-touchdown underdog. Blake Anderson, isn't that who that is? Yeah, Blake Anderson, the coach there at Arkansas State. Yeah, yeah. Early underdogs. I'm going to ride this. I'm going to take it over into SEC play with Mississippi State and LSU and Ole Miss in Florida. I'm liking this idea that popped in my head randomly last week. I'm going to roll with it until it's uh, useless. Are we 100% sure that UAB will be an underdog in that game to Miami? Yeah. Yes. 100% over a touchdown. You think? Okay. Yeah, I, I well, absolutely. Then, I, then I'm going to agree with you that that that's worth that's worth monitoring. I'll say. Do you think there's a scenario where UAB could win that game? 
Oh, yeah. Who is it that Miami lost to last year where we were like, yeah. FIU. They weren't even the yeah. kings of their own city. Yeah. It was FIU, too. It wasn't even FAU. I mean, yeah. no disrespect intended to Butch Jones, not Butch Davis, Butch Jones. No, no Butch, Butch Davis. Davis. No. Yeah. Sorry, Butch Davis. Yeah, Butch Jones that. is polishing Butch Saban's Mercedes right now. Butch Davis would have run Alvin Kamara until his tongue fell out. My God. <laughs> That that is a and would have won and might still be the head coach at Tennessee. Yeah. Would still be the head coach at Tennessee. No question. Yeah, um, probably gone to an access bowl or two. So, uh we got more college football this weekend. We are not done yet. Eastern Kentucky at Marshall, Middle Tennessee at Army. Like that's at Army. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I was, yeah, I think that's right. For some reason, I was thinking Middle Tennessee was hosting that game. Um, SMU, big favorite at Texas State. North Texas, big favorite at home against Houston Baptist. Memphis is a 15-and-a-half point favorite against Arkansas State, and that is without Kenny Gainwell. And a sold-out Liberty Bowl, too. So in Shelby County, the, it's not six feet of social distancing. It's 12. Twelve, so they max can capacity is four thousand. Yeah, just over four thousand. They sold them all, but that stinks. Did they have to do the 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 Kroger thing? Or no, not for the, they were actually. <laughs> so. Yeah, but they belong in the Power Five, man. Just ask them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was told that they were not doing the skyboxes either, which is, I mean, that they I think all of those were sold. Or were at least spoken for. And that's a lot of money they lose. That is significant revenue. So, Stephen F. Austin at UTEP also uh, tomorrow night. So, the the Arkansas State-Memphis game is the ESPN primetime game. It's a sellout crowd. You see that? That's what Borky just got through saying. Oh, my bad. That's brand new information. (laughs) I zoned out for a second there. It's Friday, Friday. (laughs) All right. See you later. Yeah. Need to get Rebecca Black. How many views on YouTube do you think that song has? 63 million. Let's see. It's Rebecca Black, right? Yeah. She made one more, um, and it was equally as bad. Actually, it was worse. Uh, Okay, so give me an over-under. Views on YouTube, Friday by Rebecca Black. Sixty-three and a half million. Take the I'll take the over though. I feel I feel I feel like you're you're, you're leaning into it. I'll go over. One hundred and forty-five million Ooh. views on YouTube. It's not even like number one though. Richard, remember this? We used to play this every Friday. I do. In fact, <laughs> let's see here. I I've think never I, I, actually heard this song. I don't think. That's rough. We used to Is jam really? this on the way to school on Friday mornings. <laughs> I'm glad my, my kids missed this. Yeah. I mean, your kids would be wearing, you know, either a Chargers jersey or T-shirt or an Ole Miss jersey or T-shirt, kind of depending on what was going on that weekend. And we would... Uh, Crank it up right there on the old (laughs) iTunes. All right, well, I'm glad we did that.
pretty uh, pretty terrible song, but you oh, know, a little pe- little peppy music on a Friday morning. My favorite part about the music video is when her friends pull up, and the lyric in the song is, "Which seat can I take?" And there is only one seat available in the car. <laughs> and it's like the, the which seat video. can I take? <laughs> it's Friday. Fr- we need to do a whole show in auto-tune one day. Oh, man. I think oh. the Bulldogs are going to win. They make sound mixers. I haven't been able to talk the bosses into buying us some, but they make sound mixers where we can, like, I can immediately put you guys in auto-tune and stuff like that or make it sound like you're coming over like a police uh, like dispatch, all that stuff. They're not that expensive, and it's mm-hmm. just the push of a button. I can get that sound effect. They've said no so far, but I'm going to keep trying. Uh, let's see. My five-year-old has 2,000 of those views on YouTube of the It's Friday song. Oh, my gosh. Somebody said Memphis State had the longest losing streak in the nation in 1982. Well, it's a long time removed from 1982. Yeah, they're pretty good now, in case you hadn't been keeping up. Yeah. Okay, so, Borky, you said with your trend, you were thinking of playing Arkansas State. Does Kenny Gainwell make that much of a difference for you? Because we're a week removed from me talking about Memphis pretty clearly, I think, being the best group of five team. Or at least, no, I don't think I said pretty clearly. I said significant argument to be made for Memphis is the best group of five team. And now you don't think they're covering two touchdowns against Arkansas State? Well, I got to stick with my guns here, but it, based on it's only been two games so far. But th- there's just something about the way this offseason has gone that tells me there might be a leveling of the playing field when it comes to big underdogs in these opening matchups. And now you lose Memphis's best player, and, and maybe there's something to that. Tour championship going on at East Lake in Atlanta. But it's the funky scoring where you have no idea what anybody is actually doing or what they started in relation to par. You know, based on where you are in the FedEx Cup standings, you get a head start on everybody else. So kind of a weird scoring format. We'll tell you more about that coming up. Also, a little high school football preview coming your way. That is when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Speaking of Memphis, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Yes, we got college football started last night. We've had MAIS football the last couple of Fridays. We now have high school football, an almost full slate tonight. There are some teams that are not playing high school football in Mississippi right now. We talked about that last week. We know the schools that are part of JPS are not playing But we got a bunch that are playing tonight. We're going to spend the next half hour or so with Will East and Stephen Gagliano talking about just that. The high school scoreboard show got started last week. Full edition coming your way uh, tonight as well. Brought to you by Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Companies in its 25th year. Fellas, it is finally here. Real high school football tonight. Real high school football. Some big games, obviously, and... 
one in particular that just kind of when all this COVID stuff started happening and it looked like they were going to start canceling games and you just kind of didn't know how long it was going to last, uh, the one game that I thought about was Laurel and Hattiesburg because I knew that it was going to be the 99th straight edition. They have not stopped that game in 99 straight years, and COVID be darned, they're going to play it this year. They're playing it tonight starting at 7 p.m., uh, and that was the Richard. That was the game that I thought of initially. I mean, a lot of people probably thought about their own teams that they follow, but that was the game that in my brain I said, I, I hope they figure out a way to play it. it. And when they shortened the season, Hattiesburg and Laurel got together and they decided, you know what, we're going to play this game. This is going to be the first game of the season, and they're playing it tonight, the 99th edition. And there's already a little bit of controversy going on. Uh, you so, love some controversy love for this. high school football. Yes, world. yes. So, uh, what you got? Luke Johnson sent me a text a few minutes ago. Mayor Toby Barker of Hattiesburg sent a letter to uh, the mayor of Laurel saying, "Hey, we know you got the trophy. You won it last year. It's great. Uh, you need to sanitize that thing before you return it to us." <laughs> and. Uh, that's you know, rivalries in the COVID yeah, era. <laughs> Laurel's mayor just kind of said, well, you know what? Um, we'll just be keeping it in our trophy case. so We don't have to worry about sanitizing it, all right? <laughs> That's some low-level smack talk. <laughs> They've got to get better than that. Jeez. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of funny. But I do appreciate that, the uh, local you government read smack that letter. talk. It's, that, that letter is like in perfect professional form. Of like th- uh, what a mayor would send to another mayor. Yeah, it was it's, it's well official. Done. It's on the uh, Sports Talk uh, Facebook page. If you want to read it, the actual letter. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting. <laughs> is it talk. on like an official letter? Yeah, head? it's like, got his signature yes, and everything. Wow. <laughs> is this the note that was stuck down in the trophy? No, that, so I guess they write like some smack notes every year, and they put them in the the little brown jug. I didn't know this, but Luke told us yesterday that. When Laurel won last year for the first time, I think in like five years, they took the jug to the Huddle House, and they found these notes that, inside. Okay, that's where it was. Yeah. That's right. They found that's these notes right. inside, and it was like just smack talk from you know Hattiesburg to Laurel. Probably found some extra hash browns and stuff that <laughs> fell into the top of it, too, if they were taking it to Huddle House. <laughs> so Laurel-Hattiesburg, the game that uh, Will is most excited about, most looking forward to. Stephen, what stands out for you? What What's the game that um, you think is the headline grabber? Well, you might as well start the season with a one-versus-two matchup, and people can debate which one's one and which one's two with West Point and Starkville playing each other. You've got West Point, the four-time defending champions in 5A, Starkville, probably the best Have team. Have they really won four in a row? They yep. really have. And Ooh. 11 overall now, which ties them with South Panola for the most ever in Mississippi high school football. Mm. So with with Starkville, they're probably the best team, I'd say, in 6A to start the season. And that's mainly just because they have the state's best backfield. You've got Luke Altmeyer at quarterback, a Florida State commit. And then their running back, a Marion Howard, is a Mississippi State commit. So anytime you have two D1 commits in the same backfield... I think you're going to win a lot of games. And Starville's done this the past couple of years. They start off as like the top team in 6A, and they did the same thing last year, but they kind of struggled out of the gate. They lost uh, two out of their three first games, and one One of those those losses was to West Point. Uh, West Point is one of those teams that kind of reminds you of Southern Miss. They're not afraid to play anybody despite their their size. They're a 5A school. 
they play 6A schools all the time. Last year they started the season by playing the then defending 6A state champ Horn Lake and you know, tonight they'll take on Starkville, and they usually play the toughest teams in that area um, in North Mississippi. And uh, the thing about West Point is they're they're returning basically everybody. I mean, I think they have something like eight returning starters on defense, a defense that shut out, I think, eight teams last year. So uh, Starkville really is geared to – I mean, West Point really is geared to make another run at this, to, to go for five in a row. And I don't see any teams in the North besides maybe Neshoba Central – challenging them this year, Stephen. Hmm. Uh, all the teams that will challenge, I think, West Point will be in the, if they make it to the state championship game are teams like West Jones and Laurel and you know maybe Picayune in there. Right, yeah, I think that's that's got to be the team that everybody's looking at in 5A. And I guess when you've won four straight championships, I guess it kind of comes with the territory. And, and in the north, isn't Lafayette the team that has kind of played the most competitive games against West Point? Although I think the, the Green Wave is kind of come out on top pretty much every time they've lined up in recent years? West Point has won all of those games the past couple of years, but you're right, they they always come down to the wire, and I think they've met up in the playoffs once or twice, but yeah. uh, the past couple of games, I usually will tune in, I go to supertalk.fm slash high school where you can listen to uh, both Lafayette's games and West Point's games, but I'll tune in and listen to both broadcasts because that game is always really good. They're in the same region with each other, so they're going to play each other. And like I said, usually they'll meet up in the playoffs. I think we'll look, give that uh, that link on the website again because we have got a ton of games that are either going to be live on local radio stations or streaming or both in some scenarios. And I know that's a great way for folks to uh, keep up with their teams. Supertalk.fm slash high school. And you're, you'll see all the helmets you can click on and listen to individual broadcasts starting at around 7 p.m. tonight. Uh, and also you can keep up with all the scores while you're there, too. So we have a live updating scoreboard. So if you just want to find out what your team is doing uh, on the scoreboard or if you want to uh, keep up with your rival, you can do it there. And uh, there's a... Richard, there's a ton of games, like you said, kicking off tonight uh, with the public schools finally getting their season started. And they they have a great slate of games. So you got these two games, the Har- uh, Laurel-Hattiesburg game, Starkville-West Point. And then on kind of the south side of things in 6A, you've got Gulfport taking on Oak Grove. Oak Grove is that team that... You know, nobody ever ranks them as, you know, one of the top teams in 6A going into the season, but they end up somehow in the state championship game two years in a row now, uh, despite having to replace players like John Rice Plumley and others. Well, they're having to replace all those guys again this year, the ones that made it to the 6A state championship game last year. Uh, so they're going to be one of the favorites. And then you got Gulfport, who, of all the teams in Region 4 of, of 6A, which has been kind of the weaker region, that team, they're returning a lot of players, and they yeah. could be pretty strong. I did not know that we had this, this high school scoreboard on the website. So supertalk.fm slash high school, and it's an automated scoreboard powered by ScoreStream. So really good stuff going there, and that updates in real time, right? Yeah, as, you can update as we in go real through. time, because sometimes they'll make accidents and they'll put the wrong score up there. I know that, because I've, I've <laughs> seen it happen. <laughs> but for the most part, I'm but sure it's accurate. For the most accurate, part, it's so, accurate. So go to it uh, throughout <laughs> yeah. the night. Picayune and Meridian? Is that one to watch? It's kind of the start of a new era for Picayune, right? Yeah, uh, it, it yeah. kind of has to be a game to watch for one reason for me and one reason only. They have a running back that left last year, Cameron Thomas, who they say rushed for 3,500 yards and 48 touchdowns. So, 
I don't know how you replace that kind of productivity, and I think they're going to have three guys that kind of rotate in that backfield, but I don't know how three people can make up it, that much. And here's how good Picayune's offense was last year, that 3,500 yards. That's about half of what they did. <laughs> now, that's a lot of yardage, but that's half. They, I think it was like close to... It was like 6,500 yards they put up on the season. They scored over 40 points in all but one game last year. Uh, They lost in the 5A state championship game uh, to West Point, and they're going to be breaking in a new head coach. Coach Dodd Lee retired. Right. After the the retirement of the legendary Dodd Lee at at Picayune, I'm I'm curious if they will also adopt with a new head coach the, uh, the advent of the forward pass. I don't know because the guy who took over, uh, whose name escapes me, I think he was the offensive coordinator. So I don't know. Yeah, keep, it, keep what was working. You know, figure out what works and uh, and stick with it. This would be uh, not this particular game, but week one would normally be uh, red carpet bowl. Hey, Dad, mm-hmm. which would be near and dear to your heart. That's when you get Vicksburg and Warren Central, and you get St. Al playing same team every year. Or they kind of rotate no, through it? it? They, they always mix it up. Well, the Red Card Bowl okay. when I was in high school was a triple header, and all, all three teams would play different teams. Different opponents. This year, yeah. though, to start things off, you've got Vicksburg and Warren Central playing. We're going to talk about some more of these games that are, are coming up tonight, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about what you can expect on the uh, the scoreboard show tonight, give you all the information on that. It is the opening full weekend. We've had MAIS the last couple of weeks. Football across the entire Magnolia State at the high school level tonight. More with Gags and Will East after this timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll have to wait three weeks and a day for that. But it is getting closer. And it feels like it's going to happen. we got college football happening all around us, just waiting to get more of it. Mississippi State and Ole Miss, but you have high school football happening tonight. Any games, Stephen or Will, that jump out at you that we need to talk about before I throw a couple at you? Go ahead and throw them at us. Yeah. Uh, um, was, real quick, I was going to go MRA. No, no, Academy. no. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> I didn't know if maybe I took one of yours there, but tonight, I know last week we talked about uh, the state's number one recruit basically transferring to Jackson Academy, and that's Deion yeah. Smith who's committed to LSU, wasn't able to play last week, you know, logistically. But uh, he will be on the field tonight for Jackson Academy, who suffered one of the weirder losses that I've ever heard of last uh, last week. They were up 34-7 to going into the fourth quarter against Leak Academy, and they lost 47-37. to <laughs> Ooh. So I didn't know that that was possible with that much time uh, to score that many points in one quarter, but Leak Academy somehow managed to do it. But anyway, uh, you've got Deion Smith now joining Jackson Academy tonight. Hopefully can maybe play corner as well. Yeah, I mean, you got to have a lot of things go wrong. Right. To do that. Yeah, there right? had to be a lot of turnovers. I didn't actually see like a, a box score or anything, but surely they fumbled on like five straight possessions or something like that to give Leak Academy the chance to score that many points. That reminds me of that battle for the Little Brown Jug probably four or five years ago where I can't remember the exact scenario, but one of the teams was down by like twenty one points with four minutes left. And the other, I can't, oh, yeah. I, I can't even remember which team it was now. I, you know, I, I think it was Laurel that came back and won, but I, I might be mistaken about that. So don't don't hit me over the head with it about it with the the brown jug. But uh, 
I, it was like one of the. And I think Rick Cleveland said, "I've never seen in all my years of covering football, I've never seen this happen before." So, I, w- I would expect this year Richard to be very weird uh, in many ways. There's so many scheduling quirks that I, I went through the schedules of a lot of these teams and just kind of you know gl- usually you can glance at them and they all kind of look the same. You know, different team names here and there. But this year, when you look at the schedules for all these teams, a lot of things are strange. Lafayette, a team that you mentioned earlier, they play 10 games this year. They have two home games. Eight of those games that they play are on the road this year. Neshoba Central has the exact opposite problem. They play nine games this year. Only two of them are on the road. Uh, there's One other- of Neshoba Central's home games is tonight against a team that has been really good in recent years under the leadership of Trent Hammond, and that is Tupelo. Trent Hammond uh, steps down from that position in the offseason. We had some great visits with him. He really rebuilt the Tupelo football program. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting game tonight, Tupelo at Neshoba Central to start the year. Yeah, Tupelo is kind of... You know, Oxford kind of over certainly overshadowed them last year, and in years past, uh, they've they've had really good teams, but they haven't been able to make a run in the playoffs. So maybe they can kind of get over that hump uh, under uh, I think Coach Ty Harden is I think that's his name, the new head coach at, at Tupelo. But Neshoba Central in 5A, they're a really good team. I talked a little bit about them earlier. Right. Uh, they're a team that they have a lot of returning starters, including that four-star running back of theirs who accounted for like 30-something touchdowns last year. And then also, too, not, not only do they have a bunch of home games this year, but their, their schedule just kind of sets up really nicely for them in the fact that um, that a lot of the teams that kind of challenged them last year are not playing this year. Uh uh, you know, Provine's not playing this year. Callaway's not playing this year. Murrow's not playing this year. Yeah. Last year, those teams dominated early on, and Neshoba Central kind of, uh, kind of was was struggling there for a little bit. Now they eventually flipped the script, but uh, I would watch out for Neshoba Central. They're going to be one of the best teams in five A North this year. But they, they, getting back to these scheduling quirks, there's all kinds of weird stuff this year. Uh, Coffeeville has the weirdest schedule I've ever seen in all of high school football. Maybe all of – I would say all of football, period. This is the weirdest okay. schedule. Okay. The Pirates. How, how often do you play a team twice in a year? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. You play them maybe once, and if you meet them again, yeah, it's Yeah, maybe a regular season and a playoff, right. yeah. Coffeeville – I did it in high school. Coffeeville starts the season with Ethel. Ne- the, the next week, guess who they play? Ethel. And this isn't until September 25th. That yeah, they so that, start. that's already kind of strange. <laughs> then to end the season, uh, the the game before the last regular, before the last game of the regular season, they play McAdams, and then the next week they play, you guessed it, McAdams again. <laughs> they have six teams scheduled, but they only play four different teams. It's so weird out there. And then you've got teams, especially in the Delta area, where. I'll take Marks Palmer, for example, off the top of my head. They start their season on October 2nd. They will end their season on October 16th. They only have three games Mm -hmm. scheduled and one game at home because so many of those teams are not playing this year. You're going to have all these weird quirks. Laurel's another example. Laurel ends their season on October 23rd. Well, the last game of the regular season for everybody else is scheduled for November 6th, so they have two weeks, if they make the playoffs, two weeks to prepare for that playoff team. And, oh, by the way, the last team that they play in the regular season is Starkville. 
Mm. It's just kind of this weird mishmash. So you're going to say all these weird kind of games this year. And I think that's going to be one of maybe the themes of the season that is just going to be kind of odd. It's going to feel odd um, throughout the year because you're going to have, like, Madison Central, for example. In the middle of the season, they play Winona, a much smaller school. Sure. Normally in the, the course of a season, you know, you have your, your non-regional games early on. You don't have a, a, a 2A or a 3A school in the middle of your schedule. So it's just going to be kind of a weird year. I would say along that lines – I, I tip my cap and I applaud the high school football coaches and the athletics directors who said, we know this year is going to be different. We know it's going to look different. We know the schedule is different. But we're going to do everything we can to get as many games as possible. And if that means playing Madison Central, if you're Winona, in the middle of the year, so be it. And if that means playing McAdams twice and playing Ethel twice, so be it. Yep. Putting the schedule together uh, together this year especially on short notice, has been a challenge for everybody. It, it certainly I, has. And and what I would tell people is, look, even if you can't attend a game, just you know, listen to it on radio, buy a, a, a high school program or something like that. Do what you can. Don't be so negative about it just because there's restrictions on the number of people that can attend a, a ball game. Because yeah. you know, you, you're the lucky one. If, you, if your local team is playing, you're the lucky one because there's a lot of schools out there they're just going to forfeit all their games. They're not playing this year. And Let me throw a couple of these games that are uh, on the schedule tonight at you. Oxford at Grenada. Oxford coming off that uh, that state championship uh, from a year ago. S- such a big deal for a school. And, and yes, it is my alma mater, but a school that has been close a number of times in the last decade and hadn't quite been able to get over that hump. It was a really big deal, and now you start all over. Right, and it you know it, it may ease that sting a little bit if there is kind of an adjustment period this year because you can look back and say, well, we won state in 2019 because they do lose J.J. Pegues, who was the most dominant player on that team last year, and their quarterback, right. uh, Jack Meager, I believe was his name. So, yeah, Jack Marr. Marr. So losing those two huge I think he went to the Naval players, Academy. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. But, you know, they're, they're going to have that kind of adjustment and, period here early in the season. And they lost 10 returning starters on they, – they, they, they only have one returning starter on defense. That's it. And that was a really good defense last year. Yeah, really was. Northwest Rankin and Madison Central, that's usually a fun one. Yeah, Northwest Rankin really, really struggled last year. They're in Region 3 now. Uh, this used to be an old Region 2 game. Uh, Madison Central is another one of those teams that you just kind of don't know what you're going to see this year. They're going to be breaking in uh, a new quarterback. They, I think last report I heard was there were five different players competing for that quarterback position. So I think Duke Arnold is back at running back. So, And their defense, I think, is returning a lot of starters. So they should be good on defense. But offense is going to be a little bit of a question for them. Uh, you know, that was a team that last year I thought they were going to win the state championship. They had all the tools, but they – they just kind of fell apart in the middle of the season um, against some of the tougher competition. Richard, I, the team that I kind of am going to keep my eye on this year, uh, and they play Hernando tonight, and that is South Panola. I think this is the year South Panola might return. They went 12-2 and last year against some pretty tough competition because they're in Region 2 now. Right. Uh, I think this is the, the year for South Panola to make a return. And then one other game, and this is a traditional opener. We've seen it played on Thursday nights, but it's usually like on August 20th. Instead, it's happening on September 4th. Clinton and Brandon, two teams that love to get after each other. 
and Will Rogers is no longer at Brandon this year, so I'm interested to see who's going to step in there. I believe they've got kind of a two-quarterback thing going here in the early part of the season, so that'll be a big storyline to watch tonight. We hit on a bunch of teams. I mean, when we go through this for half an hour and you hear Coffeeville and McAdams and <laughs> Ethel and Calhoun City, uh, not to mention Clinton and Brandon and Oxford and Grenada and Horn Lake and Hernando and Lafayette and West Point and Starkville and so on, you know, we covered a bunch of ground. Guys, uh, preview show starts at 6 o'clock as soon as we get finished. And then the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company scoreboard show, 25th year, 10 o'clock until midnight, right? That's it. Yes. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll Thank talk you. to you next week. Yep. Stephen Gagliano and Will East joining us from the Farm Bureau phone line, though in Studio X. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Tour championship going on at East Lake in Atlanta, and it's a, uh, a different format than anything else. First of all, there are only 30 players in the field. There is no cut. Everybody that participates will get paid. The winner will take home a check for $15 million as the FedEx Cup champion, and if you finish dead last... You will still cash a check for $395,000. So just getting to Atlanta is a big deal to be one of the top 30. Um, this tournament for the second year has a handicapped leaderboard. I'll tell you a little bit more about where everybody started, but the player who finished first in the FedEx Cup standings going into the Tour Championship starts the tournament at 10 under par, and then it scales down all the way to the bottom five guys starting at even par. Since the players are starting on uneven footing, the event is winner-take-all for the FedEx Cup. And, Borky, this is still a relatively new wrinkle. So even if Mackenzie Hughes, who starts at even par and is 30th in the standings, wins it, he will be the FedEx Cup champion and this was introduced partly to appeal to the casual fan. Uh, I'm sorry, fan, who when they look at the leaderboard this week, you're looking at the actual leaderboard for the FedEx Cup, not the tournament championship leaderboard with a different set of criteria for winning the FedEx Cup, and you avoid the awkwardness of this dual trophy presentation where somebody wins the Tour Championship, but they don't necessarily win the FedEx Cup championship and the big prize. So that's a little bit different. This is the second year they've gone to the handicapped format. Last year, Justin Thomas began the week with the lead. Rory McIlroy overtook him and ended up winning the $15 million. And it is, again, by far the biggest purse on tour. So you've got Dustin Johnson starting at the top, 10 under par. That was going into the tournament. John Rahm, two shots back at 8 under. Justin Thomas, one back at 7 under. Webb Simpson at 6. Colin Morikawa at 5-under. And then at 4-under par, you had a group of 5 players. Same thing at 3-2-1 and then even par. 30 players total in the field. Do you like this format? I do. When it comes to championship in anything, it really should just come down to the best score wins or the most points win. You know what I mean? So even though it it's tough to explain, well, look, this guy started at a certain number because over the year he had this many points. When it comes down to it, when the casual viewer, as you said, puts it on on Sunday because they got nothing better to do, they look at the scoreboard and whoever wins, wins. And that is so much easier than what they did years ago with the 
well, this guy wins the event, but he doesn't win the big money. And it, it just, the, the less explaining you have to do, the better the championship is to me. So this works perfectly. Dustin Johnson currently three under on his round, so that makes him 13 under in terms of the overall scoreboard. John Rahm is four under today, playing really well, and just chipped it. I don't know if he's got a kick in par or birdie. He's 12 under. Justin Thomas is three back at 10 under. Rory McIlroy and Abraham answer low rounds of the day. They both shot six under 64s, so Rory is at nine under, four back. And Abraham answer is at seven under six back. So pretty good scoring conditions. The course just looks amazing too. I don't know if you watched any of it today, but East Lake is spectacular right now in Atlanta. Yeah, and the the backdrop of that old timey clubhouse, old timey clubhouse, brings you back to like the seventies. It's like they haven't touched it in decades. It looks awesome. Everybody wants to win. But, hey, Dad, this is a week where losing is not the the worst thing because everybody's getting paid, and everybody's getting paid big numbers. And, again, if you finished dead last, you're cashing a check for $395,000. Wish I could have gotten in the uh, into this tournament because I, I could guarantee I could finish that. I could finish dead last. <laughs> Walk away with 300000 I, I feel comfortable agreeing with you cool, uh, wholeheartedly on this. You could yeah. have finished last. So so here's the um, first place gets $15 million, Second place gets $5 million, Third place, four. Fourth place, three. Two and a half for fifth. If you finish 10th in the tournament out of 30, you win $830,000. If you finish 20th out of 30, 505000 and then again, all the way to the bottom, three hundred ninety-five thousand. Did I read it right? A sixty million dollar purse. I think Carry that's right. Carry the two. Yeah, I did all that math in my head. It's sixty million. Good. It's a lot of money for one golf tournament. Yeah, especially when people can't be there. I know that's not really what pays the the purse, but it certainly helps. And ooh, yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Final hour of the work week coming up with you after this brief timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Sing that site fight song about your rival. Weirdos. Goodbye to Texas University. They are. But that is a cool band. Didn't Bjork have quotes recently about not playing Texas that rubbed a lot of people in that state the wrong way? Not his uh, people, but mostly Texas people. I don't know. What did he say? I, I think it was basically like, it's not going to happen. Don't ask me yeah. again. Texas said they they had reached out, and A&M said not interested, and just went from there. Hmm. Why not? I why. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Ego. I mean, th- there's a we don't need you play. You 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 had us. Now you want us, and nah, we're good. We're we're good. We got Alabama, we got Florida, we got LSU, we got Ole Miss and Mississippi State. We kind of we, we played Clemson about in the Arkansas. last two years. We got Arkansas, <laughs> and 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 whatnot. We're, Sorry, we're Hogman. We are we are all good. 
Sports Talk Mississippi rolling with you into the 5 o'clock hour. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and uh, Brian Haydad. Thanks for being with us. 601-879-4395. Aren't you tired of slow, ineffective customer service from your Internet, VoIP, and cloud providers? It's fair to expect no-quit, reliable, dedicated, 24-7 support from a trusted IT partner. The team over at Seaspire Business couldn't agree more, and that's why they've got a highly trained staff of technical support experts and IT engineers who are regionally located and have a 98% customer satisfaction rating. They know what it takes to win and will help you succeed in a competitive marketplace. And that's why Seaspire is excited to announce they're partnering with ESPN analyst Kirk Herbstreet to help firms understand how to get and use advanced technology to manage and expand their businesses. Learn more about Seaspire Business online at cspire.com slash business. Time right now for the College Football Fix. Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. That would be a good way to spend the weekend. Knock that out while you're out this weekend. Go jump behind the wheel of a new Ford F-150. And after all, it is truck month, which means great deals on the legendary F-150, Super Duty, and the Ranger. So, college football fix. Mike Leach had his radio show last night and had some things to say, hey, Dad, about the the quarterback position in particular with regard to the battle for the starting quarterback job. You know, I'm kind of waiting for those guys to separate themselves. I guess that's been a little frustrating. I guess that's good because they're competitive, Sometimes they're competitively good, and sometimes they're competitively inconsistent. So trying to get one to rise to the top. I think KJ is ahead of the other three. Garrett does some good things, and so does Will. Talking about Garrett Schrader and Will Rogers. I think they're hugged together pretty tight, but I do feel like it's still an open job. Somebody has got to take it and run with it and really provide that consistency. Question number one. Are you buying what Mike Leach said? Uh, with a with a big old grain of salt, I, 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 KJ Costello is going to be the quarterback of this football team. I come uh, barring some sort of injury, there's just no question in my mind about that. But that said, maybe Ke- Costello hasn't separated himself as much as Mike Leach would have liked. Okay. Leach was asked specifically about freshman quarterback Will Rogers. And Will Rogers was a Mike Leach recruit, right? Wasn't that somebody that he had kind of looked at while at Washington yeah, State? Yeah, he, he, oh, he offered him. He offered him a, a, one of his early offers. On Will Rogers, he said, "I think a lot of times those freshmen's uh, freshmen's. <laughs> Who are we talking about now? Is Rick Stansbury in the building? What's going on here? Those freshmen come out and they won't do what they can do just because they're intimidated, maybe a little strong." But they're just a little unsure. They're apprehensive. They don't pull the trigger. Will doesn't have that problem. Will came out and has operated like he belongs there from the day he got here. And I think that has served him well and allowed him to improve and elevate. 
He's a smart guy and a knowledgeable guy, and I think that continues to help him too. Could Will Rogers potentially be the backup? There's been a lot of talk about that. That you know he's just a good fit, good fit for the system. Uh, and Schrader maybe not so much. I, I thought you know people talk about Schrader's accuracy, fifty eight percent completion percentage as a, a freshman in a non QB friendly offense, and is not bad. Um, so I you know Schrader is just interesting to me in this offense because Mike Leach never had a runner that could, could, could provide another 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 uh, dimension to this office. But at the same time, it seems like Rogers is right there with him. At, at the very least, you know, obviously the odd man out is Jalen Maiden. I, I would expect him in the portal at, at some point. Um, and then, you know, I guess we'll see, you know, at some point, you know, I think about week two against Arkansas. If you, if you can get out ahead big, you know, I'm, I hate to, I'm sorry, Hogman, but uh, if you can get out ahead big and you see who, who the, who, who the first guy off the bench is, you know, and of course in a year where everybody has, you know, sort of a, that red shirt ready. I don't. I don't really know what any of that means. I don't know, you know, what the depth charts. If does it really mean anything past the starters as far as the number two quarterback? But that said, Rodgers has made a big impression in Starkville in, in the time he's been there. It only 20- means anything after the starter gets hurt. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So like last year, you know, I think the depth chart was like Keaton or Garrett Schrader, and then when Tommy Stevens got hurt, Schrader came out on the field. So you know, it's one thing if you're up forty to nothing, and you know, just put put Rodgers in there. Or put trainer in there, but if KJ Costello gets hurt and the guy who the guy who comes out is the backup, he's the number two. You can take that in. Twenty thirteen, using the point that you made a year ago, um, that was Dak Prescott's first full year as a starter at Mississippi State. Yeah, well, and yeah, he completed fifty eight percent of his passes. Yeah, yeah. You know, is that the year that he split some time with, with Tyler, Tyler Russell, Russell still? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Tyler got hurt in the first game, and they just sort of went back and forth. It was yeah. sort of similar to last year, to be honest with you. Nobody nobody could stay healthy for, for an extended period of time. Yeah, I guess it was 14 when Dak completely took the reins was, over. Yeah, he was the starting quarterback going into the season and never let go. Yeah, jumped up to 62% in 2014, and then in 2015 uh, threw it a, a 66% clip. So, yeah. uh, you know, got better each year yeah. in terms of completion percentage. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, with Schrader, I'm just intrigued by the idea of, you know, having four wide receivers, five wide receivers, and they, they get deep and, you're you know, they're in man coverage, and all of a sudden he's, he realizes everybody's not looking at him. He just takes off running. It just feels like there would be some opportunities there for big plays. But at the same time, it's, it's something that Mike Leach has never done, and, you know, we know that he's not much for changing things up. So scrimmage this Saturday at Davis Wade Stadium, not open to anybody. Uh, but hopefully, maybe that uh, after that we can have a little more clarity uh, of what's going on at the quarterback position and, and, and across the roster. Do you anticipate them releasing kind of stats and results and stories from that? Or are they going to keep it pretty close to the vest? <sighs> under Mullen and under Moorhead, I don't remember ever getting stats uh, on that from scrimmages that we did not attend. Okay. So I would I would guess no, but we'll see. Borky, do you have any thoughts on what Mike Leach said? Uh, he has been notorious in not tipping his hand in quarterback battles. Uh, so when I when I saw this uh, from a friend of the show, Joel T, I thought, you know, this is just Mike Leach doing what he does because I have a sneaky sus- uh, suspicion that you don't bring in a transfer like KJ Costello, unless you intend for him to start, similar to what we said with Tommy Stevens. So I think this is more of just Mike Leach being Mike Leach, and 
I mean, he even kind of said that one has separated themselves from the other before he brought it back down to, oh, they're still really close. So I think it's just... And it's exactly what he should do, right? I mean, even though I imagine that LSU is going to spend most of their time preparing for Mississippi State as if K.J. Costello is the starter, there's no reason to tell anybody who your quarterback is. Same thing in Oxford. I, you know, people so bad want Kiffin to name the guy. And, you know, we talk about it some because news leaks from practice as it does. But there's no reason for either coach in this state to tell anybody who's starting except for maybe the guy in their team until the offense takes the field for the first possession of the first game. So I expect this, and there's no reason for them not to do this. I agree. I don't think there's any... Well, well, gamesmanship. Yeah. I don't think there's any significant news at this point out of out of Oxford from this week. And at this point, when you're three weeks out from the regular season, is it quiet and no news... Kind of what you want. Exclusively good. No news right now is always good. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Truck month has begun. That means great savings on the full lineup of trucks at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Got a delay in a game that was supposed to be played next weekend, TCU and SMU were supposed to play on September 11th. That is not going to happen because of positive tests for coronavirus. Um, TCU Athletic Director Jeremiah Donati said in a statement, in the course of following CDC guidelines and our aggressive testing and contact tracing strategy, we discovered that some student-athletes and support staff in our football program have tested COVID uh, positive for COVID-19. Those individuals were notified immediately and are currently abiding by CDC protocols. TCU will now focus on its Big 12 opener against number 23 Iowa State on September 26th. Uh, story says when the Big 12 went to a schedule with only one non-conference game, SMU was originally left off the Horn Frog schedule. After Tennessee Tech postponed its season, the two schools announced on August 15th they would resurrect the game, which would be the 100th meeting in the school's Iron Skillet rivalry. They have agreed to look for a makeup date this year. Uh, game in Fort Worth in a previous, let's see, TCU and SMU will play in Fort Worth in a previously scheduled game in 2021 before the series returns to Dallas in 2022. That's a little bit of a bummer. That could have been a fun game. Could have been. And this is not surprising, though, right? I mean, this is what everybody should be prepared for. And this is okay. I saw a couple of people say, oh, big news in the college football front. Well, yes, it is. It's big news. It's important news. But there's nothing at all surprising, unexpected, or even necessarily bad about this. It's kind of our reality and this isn't going to be the first time, or this isn't the first time, it's not going to be the last time, and it's okay. It's what we should be prepared for. Interesting announcement earlier this week from the NCAA. They are feeling the cost-cutting crunch like athletics departments are all across the country. You know the majority of the NCAA's budget comes from the money that they make on the men's NCAA basketball tournament. 
That didn't happen, and so they are dealing with, I guess, a shortage of cash. Of course, they find plenty of cash for all those lawsuits they have to fight against people randomly. The NCAA is furloughing its entire Indianapolis-based staff of 600 employees for three to eight weeks in a cost-saving move. Did you hear that? It's the sound of every bag man in the country getting worked up. Let's go. The memo from Mark Emmert went out to the association's more than 1,200 member schools on Wednesday of this week. The furloughs will not affect senior executives. Got to protect those guys. I think they've taken pay cuts. Starting September 21st and running through the end of January, all national office staff will be subjected to a mandatory three-week furlough. Some staff will be furloughed up to eight weeks, depending on their position and seasonal timing of their duties. USA Today reported earlier this year that Mark Emmert and senior management were taking a 20% salary reduction and vice presidents were taking a 10% pay cut. They've also implemented salary freezes for all employees and did not fill any open positions. The decisions are unfortunate but necessary as we continue to identify ways to cut costs across the national office, Emmert wrote. Said all the measures represent top-of-budget cuts in every national office group, totaling nearly half our operating budget. The NCAA cut its annual distribution to conferences and schools this year from an expected $600 million to $225 million. Significant. It's big money. Now, at, at at a practical level, what does this mean for guys or girls who are currently in waiting on the clearinghouse to figure out whether or not they're going to be eligible? That's... Otis Reese would be an example at Ole Miss, the transfer from Georgia, who's waiting for a decision on whether or not he's going to be eligible for this fall. It's got to have an effect on those guys, doesn't it? You would think so, but it still that underscores the process being so flawed. I mean, he transferred what in January, yeah. I, I believe. So yeah. eight months ago, hasn't heard. But a particular quarterback that transferred from Southern Cal to Georgia transferred in May and found out in June that he was immediately eligible. Doesn't really seem to to add up. But we may have gotten some clarity on that. So I don't know when. Uh, Marcel Brooks transferred from LSU to TCU. I don't, I don't know the details, but I know he found out today that he was granted his eligibility. He's a former five-star, I think, plays linebacker from LSU to TCU. Yeah. Found, right. found out today that he's immediately eligible. So does that mean that they haven't been furloughed yet or that they're still processing these waiver requests in spite well, of being on furlough. That that's so this maybe added more questions than clarity, but a player did get notified today that he's eligible. In, in fairness, the release did say that the furloughs were happening between September and the end of January. They were mandatory 3 weeks up to 8 weeks and they were making those decisions based on seasonal responsibilities. So, it could be that the clearinghouse right now has got a lot of work to do. And once they kind of clear the docket on fall sports, maybe that three-week furlough goes into effect then. Maybe that happens for them in October or October and November. And I'm sure they're spreading them out so that, you know, if you've got 20 people in a specific division, 
you wouldn't furlough all 20 of them at the exact same time. You would maybe do five at a time or ten at a time or something like that and spread it out. I would think that would make the most sense to me. It would. And the fact that a player's still waiting this long to find out is insane. But if Ole Miss doesn't get an answer on Reese by next week, I mean, you're directly impacting at this point the way a team prepares for their season because he would be a starter. Lane Kiffin said it himself. He would start if they knew. But So now you have to potentially not give reps to your starter because you don't know if he's going to be eligible and vice versa. So the guy that's his backup that would be the starter, maybe not getting starter reps because you don't know if the guy in front of him is eligible or not. They're hanging this over an entire team's head, but especially the kid himself, who they should be servicing, by not giving him an answer yet. It's affecting him and the way he prepares for a season and the way his team prepares for a season. It's just wrong. Hey, Dan, anybody at Mississippi State where they are waiting on eligibility issues? Not for football, for basketball. Uh, Alabama transfer JV and Davis uh, is waiting. Uh, there was a lot okay. of momentum that he would be uh, immediately eligible, but that has not come through as of yet. Gotcha. Reason to believe, and, and that would be without sitting out for a year? Right, immediately eligible. Yeah. What was the, I mean, was there any rumored reason for the transfer? Yeah, Alabama just sort of processed him. Okay. But, gotcha. you know, they they had a couple I think they had at least one guy come back from the NBA draft they weren't expecting and they just recruited over him and so they they had two or three guys go and they, they I think at least one of them has already been declared immediately eligible when they like I said they expect Davis to be. Yeah. Uh opening round of the Tour Championship at East Lake is complete Dustin Johnson and John Rahm. Tied at 13 under at the top of the leaderboard. DJ shot three under today, a 67. John Rahm, boy, he had his wedges dialed in, uh, especially from around the green. Shoots a 65, five under par. Uh, Justin Thomas shoots four under 66. He is 11 under, two shots back. Uh, low rounds of the day belong to Rory McElroy and Abraham Anser, uh, both shooting 64, six under. McElroy is nine under, four. Excuse me, four back, and answer is seven under, six back after his first round, 64. So that's your uh, PGA Tour championship leaderboard. Something I want to get into in in a second when we come back. Uh, The Football Oversight Committee yesterday has agreed to a recommendation to the Division I Council, a spring season model for conferences that would push their spring seasons to 2021. This just feels like such a bad idea. Yeah. Yep. It includes 15 practices in 29 days leading up to the start of the season and an eight-game season that must end by April 17th. So that's what the Football Oversight Committee at the NCAA is recommend, uh, recommending. We'll give you a few more details about this plan uh, when we come back and maybe uh, get your reaction as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, half an hour left with you on this Friday afternoon, rolling into Labor Day weekend. We'll be right back. Who's that, Morky? Kentucky. 
<laughs> hey, that's most underrated team in the SEC. Good thing. Yeah. Hey, don't forget high school football tonight. You can go to supertalk.fm slash high school. There are a bunch of football helmets there. You can click on the one uh, if your team's football helmet is there to uh, listen online to the uh, streaming broadcasts that are available. There is also a, uh, a big scoreboard there that's powered by ScoreStream uh, for high school scores all across the state of Mississippi. Good way to keep up with scores throughout the evening. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us. So what about this? I mentioned it before the break. Football Oversight Committee said yesterday that they were going to recommend to the Division I Council a spring season model for conferences that push their seasons to spring 2021. 15 practices in 29 days and an eight-game season that must end by April 17th. Any other conferences that have postponed their season because of the pandemic but decide to resume playing games earlier than next spring will not be able to use the 15 practice model but it will be recommended all leagues that have postponed will have 13 weeks to complete their seasons. The committee, the Football Oversight Committee, will also ask the council to extend the recruiting dead period to October 31st and to eliminate the evaluation period for football in the fall. B1 council expected to vote on September 16th on the recommendations. I get it, but the evaluation, the, the recruiting side of this is going to um, really lessen the opportunities for some kids that have been flying under the radar, but then they'll show up to a couple of camps and get seen and get opportunities. This kind of stuff really affects those kids. No doubt. You know who else it affects? It affects Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Arkansas and Missouri. Yep. Who hired new coaching staffs in December. Guys that were trying to hit the ground running and build relationships and see as many kids as they possibly could, and then everything went dark in March. And then you're looking at basically no recruiting. I mean, that's not entirely accurate. You've got phone calls and Zoom calls and whatnot. But in terms of evaluating kids, seeing them play, having them on your campus, having them at your games, developing relationships, nothing for a seven-month window at minimum. So it'll be a full cycle of recruiting without an in-person evaluation, without a single camp, and without a single official visit. Yeah, that's not going to work. There's no way that's going to get... I can't see that getting through. Yeah. Everybody's just so afraid. They're just so afraid right now. And Again, I guess I get it. You don't want people traveling over state lines and stuff. I, I guess I get it, but at some point. The people who are traveling are being tested three times a week. I understand. Yeah, it. You're not sending, you know, you're, you're, for the most part, you're, you're, the fans aren't doing that. So what are we talking about? I mean, why, why can you not allow football teams, coaches, whatever, that are... Um, 
that are going through the testing protocols just to stand at a distance on the sidelines and watch, which is what they do yeah. anyway when they go to those games. They're they're not there yeah. to. I mean, I know we hear about the grand entrances and the helicopters that land on the practice field and all those things, but generally speaking, those coaches keep a low profile. Generally speaking, it's the head coaches that are doing what you're talking about, Richard. Like the assistant coaches just show up. They just show up. They just look. They go stand down around the twenty yard line all by themselves and just kind of watch. Right. Shane Lyons, who's the athletic director at West Virginia and is the chair of the football oversight committee, told ESPN that the committee wanted to give any conferences that are not playing the flexibility to determine their schedule. But he said that for any leagues pushing their season back to the spring, it would be an eight-game schedule. Any conferences that start earlier can play more games within their allotted 13 weeks. So there's a 13-week window in which you can play games. If the Big Ten or any other league resumes play in late November, it wouldn't be allowed to use the proposed practice format of 29 days to have 15 practices as is the case during a typical spring season, only teams that push the season to spring would be able to make use of that. Again, Lyons said there was a concern about having more than eight games if you're only in the spring. If you're using your 13 weeks in both terms, then you don't get fall ball or spring ball. You don't get your cake and eat it too. This is the part where I kind of raise my eyebrows. The April 17 date is key because we're trying to get it to where there's enough time between the last competition and starting back up in August and having a normal 21-22 football season. There's expectation that the coaches, the conferences, the medical experts work through what the spring competition would look like from a health and safety standpoint. So April 17th is this like magic date in the sky where if we play a spring season and it's only eight games and we finish by April 17th, then everybody's, everybody's going to be good to go in August. Yeah. Everybody, it's it's just like everything else. They just keep coming up with these arbitrary dates and these these made up situations that, you know, they're pulling them out of, out of, you know where. I mean, they're just they're, it, it makes no sense. And you know, it, if they are playing a college football game in mid-April, that following August and September, that season, the twenty twenty one season, will have to be shorter. No, I don't think it will be. You think they'll just go ahead no, and play I think they're saying, look, if, no, yeah, I think I they're saying, look, if we finish by April 17th, that gives them plenty of time to get ready. Oh, yeah, does it? Because if they finish on April 17th and graduation is on May 10th and then the spring term starts the Monday after Memorial Day, guess where those guys are going to be on the Monday after Memorial or the Tuesday after Memorial Day? Yeah. They're going to be in summer school and off-season conditioning programs rolling right through. Yeah. Six weeks off max. Player safety, though, right? That's why they're there is sure. Player safety. If this occurs, if they're able to do this, and I don't think that they will, but if they do, you cannot like any Big Ten or Pac-12 team to be in the playoff the next year. They'll just get, I mean, they'll just be hammered in the early season. Or is it the other side? And we're making too much of the amount of time you need off to allow your body to heal. I don't think that that's the case. I don't think so either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have former football players telling us you need the time. Sure. Yeah, when when I've started seeing multiple former NFL players saying that that's too much on your body, that tells me that this is too much, and it will affect them. Like I said, those are NFL guys who play a minimum of 16 games every season, and then they're telling you we need that time just to feel normal again. 
Yeah. I mean, the the NCAA, I got a, a message from a, a friend just a second ago. Bureaucrats enjoying uh, enjoy making rules more than they value their work. And there's no greater bureaucracy that exists, well, outside the federal government, than the NCAA. And and the, the interesting part about this is the Football Oversight Committee is made up of athletics directors and assistant ADs and, you know, whatever from all over the country. I'm sure some conference officials are there as well. And Shane Lyons has had some really bright, level-headed, forward-thinking things to say during this pandemic. I don't see, though, how a sitting athletic director, interestingly enough, from a conference that is planning on playing in the fall, can come out and say, April 17th, yeah, that's a good time. As long as we're done by then, we can have a, we don't want to affect the 21-22 season. As long as we're done by April 17th, we'll be good. That. I mean, uh, hey, it, arbitrary is the word you used a second ago, and you nailed it. It is compl- It is subjective. It is arbitrary. There was a hat that had multiple dates in it, and somebody closed their eyes and reached in, and they pulled out a date. Maybe they got the, uh, the old-school bingo deal and put a bunch of dates on little bingo chips and rolled it around and rolled it around and rolled it around and then a little open the window and let one pop out on April, April 17th. 17th. Bingo! Bingo! I mean, this is the, the, this is the same conference that brought you 30 to 35% of these athletes have myocarditis yesterday. So it's just... But no, Shane Lyons isn't. No, it's not, I'm not saying that he is, but I'm saying... The people working against football in the fall right now are the—they're just just lumping them all together at this point. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.